I'm your emotional Chelsea fan host, Mike Ryan Ruiz, and coming up on this jam-packed episode of Chelsea Miked Up, we speak to Reese James, the Roberto Carlos of Chelsea, a top-five footballer already, a gift sent from the gods, neutral observer Chris Whittingham. I cannot contain myself. Also, there was a highly controversial match that we need to discuss. Maybe we'll discuss some of that with Reese James. Also, N'Golo Kante's injury, a full-on keeper controversy going on at Chelsea. We answer a mailbag question from one Smokey McPot. Almost too much to talk about in this episode, but we are certainly going to make time to drag Manchester City. Join us! You are listening to Chelsea Mic'd Up, the only official Chelsea FC podcast. I'm your emotional host, Mike Ryan Ruiz, and on this episode, it's all about Reese James. Actually, it's not all about Reese James. On any normal episode, Chris, it would be about Reese James. Right. I mean, Manchester United, Bar, N'Golo Kante, keeper controversy. Caballero. Manchester City is banned by UEFA for two years. There's a signing. There's a signing to talk about. This is going to be a jam-packed episode that even features a question from one smoking McPot. (laughs) There's just too much to get into in this intro, so let's just get into this episode. We've been promising you for weeks this interview with Reese James. I am super excited you can hear it in my voice. Reese James is probably going to be a little put off by how aggressively happy (laughs) I am about this interview. Favorite Chelsea player right now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Top quality. And you know what? I'll say it to his face. A very exciting day here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. You've heard us tease it for weeks, and now the day is finally upon us. Chris Whittingham, neutral observer. Modern day Roberto Carlos is here, and I know every time I say that, you, you perk up and you say, Mike, you can't be calling him Roberto Carlos. He's new to the team. He's still a young player. He's got much to prove. So for that, I apologize. You are better than Roberto Carlos. You are Roberto <laughs> Carlos with physicality, Reese James. Reese James, you have jumped into this lineup, and you have been dynamic. The crosses are all world. You are a physical player. You seek out contact. You are fantastic. That's my first question. You are fantastic. Your thoughts? No, obviously, um, I work hard, and I try to be the best I can, and, and try to give it the all for, for the team, and, and try and, and, and be the best we can as a team as well. You hear that, Chris Winningham? Not even a rebuttal. He knows I'm right. He, he, he's like, yeah, you're, everything that you're saying is absolutely true. I want to talk to you about your most recent game before we get into some fun stuff, because obviously your crosses have been a huge part of the attacking game plan going into these matches, but it seemed as though Manchester United tactically was paying a little bit more attention to you than some of the, the other teams previously. What did you see on that pitch against Manchester United that you haven't really encountered this season? No, I feel when I was in the game, it was... It was a lot more, a lot more difficult to get certain crosses in and and be on the ball. When I had the ball in their half, they came, they came quick and came tight and came with body. So it was, it was hard to break them down. Can you describe to us your approach to crossing? Because it seems like you have a wide variety of different crosses you can pick out, whether it's low or whether it's towards the back post. Uh, when you're bombing down that right flank, what's going through your mind about how you're going to play each ball and and trying to pick out a player rather than just hit it into the danger area? No, I mean sometimes when I get the ball, I have to look up and see which which pass I think would be the best one, and then. And then I go from there. Watching your game, the physicality really sticks out. I mean, the dimensions compared to like some of the other sports out there, it doesn't seem like you're this towering uh, player when you actually look at the measurables, but you play a lot larger than you actually are. And when you're going up against wingers in these 50-50 situations, their bodies go flying. How much is physicality a part of your game? How much do you enjoy it? Do you seek out some of this contact? No, of course. I mean, being stronger than, than, 
a lot of the wingers I come up against is obviously going to help me um, defending and going forward. And I mean, sometimes when you hit players off guard early on, then it sort of shakes them for the rest of the game. How much does playing in the championship help with that? Because you were a player of the season as voted by, I believe, the fans at Wigan. And the you, you talk about physicality. That's a physicality demanding league. How much did playing in the championship help with that? And how much has that skill uh, translated from your loan spell with Wigan? No, I think playing in the championship last season helped a lot. I mean, every game was a fight and, and there was no easy games. And I think obviously playing week in, week out and... and being consistent was um, was very good for me, and it helped me a lot. You're represented by Rock Nation Sports, which um, is venturing out now into Europe and having uh, some more footballer clients out there. What drew you to Rock Nation? Was it uh, initially the Jay-Z uh, tie? Why are you rep by Rock? No, I think that obviously in in US, they're obviously known, known and they're starting to get known more worldwide. And yeah, I think Jay-Z was, was the main reason that it brought me closer closer towards them. Did he reach out to you personally? And if so, what was that conversation like? No, it's obviously great speaking to speaking to someone someone so successful and, and obviously had a lot of wise words to say. In terms of uh, your relationship with, with the United States, I saw when uh, Kobe Bryant recently passed that um, that you did an Instagram post uh, dedicated to him. How much of the NBA do you watch and, and, and why did uh, Kobe's passing strike a chord with you? No, I mean, I watch. I watch NBA when I can. It's obviously a major sport in, in the US and Obviously, Kobe Bryant was a legend of, of basketball and, and many different sports athletes look, looked up to him. Reese, you have a young team. We've uh, tried connecting with Christian Pulisic in the past. I, I know that he loves video games. Sammy Abraham, also a, a bit of a gamer. What do you uh, sort of, what is your connection point with your teammates? Obviously, it's a young team with uh, some veterans sprinkled in. What do you guys find common ground in, in terms of hobbies? And as to be fair, we all we all play games as well. We're all online and, and playing a bit of Fortnite, a bit of FIFA. Who's the best gamer of the group? Oh, probably Mason. Mason, uh, mm. who's the yeah. biggest? Who's the biggest trash talker when you get into these online battle royales? Tammy. Tammy. <laughs> that, that actually makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. There also seems to be. It seems as though there's like a competition for the best hairdo on Chelsea right now. A lot of the youngsters are getting it in there. Mason Mount takes pride in the undercuts. Tammy Abraham, all sorts of uh, impressive braids. You have your own look. Is this a thing in the locker room or is this just fodder for Twitter? No, I think obviously everyone wants to look good and and sometimes when you meet someone new, the first thing you look at is how they look. So oh. everyone wants to look at one point. Oh, so there's one upsmanship. There's like, uh, okay, I got... When someone rolls into the parking lot with a new car, sets in a new standard, it's a everything is. You guys are such competitive beasts, Reese. It seems as though, like, even when you're hanging out and you're trying to find some time away from the game, you're playing Fortnite. There's a competition. You guys have to compete over who's got the best drip. This is just part of your competitive nature. Yeah, I think every, everything, um, everything we do is uh, gonna have. Um... It's all competitive. Um, everyone wants to have the best and look the best and be the best. Obviously, with Chelsea recently dealing with a transfer ban, Frank Lampard needs to turn to the youth. And you were a part of that youth, Reese. When Frank Lampard, a Chelsea legend, turns to you in the preseason and says, Reese, once you get fit, you are a part of my first team plans. How does a young Reese James even process that? No, it's obviously great. Obviously, when I first found out he was going to get the job and, and I spoke to him and he said that was in his plans. It's obviously great, obviously coming from a Chelsea legend. And and it was obviously my dream to, to play for Chelsea and break through here. 
Playing European football now, you're you're into the knockout stages against Bayern Munich. Obviously, you have a huge match against Tottenham Hotspur coming up on Saturday. In uh, in the United States, there's this cliche, there's a look-ahead game, but you can't really do that when you have your London rivals. What sort of intensity is going into this match? Obviously, it's a huge battle for European positioning in the next year, but do you get up a little extra when you have a rival like Tottenham on the schedule? No, I think there's always going to be rival with a London derby. But you just have to, we go into every game trying to win. So nothing's going to change. It's another game, another opposition, and we're going to do our best to win. All right, we're going to have a little fun with you here as we close. We're going to play a little game that we call this or that. We've done it in the past with uh, some Chelsea players, and we want to see how you fare. Are you ready to play this or that, Reese James? Yeah. All right, the first question, Kanye or Drake? Drake. Win the Premier League or the Champions League? Champions League. Ah, uh, Reese, the correct answer there is both. <laughs> <laughs> New, York, New York or L.A.? New York. I'm biased, but the correct answer there is Miami, of course. <laughs> and I know a lot of Chelsea players would agree with me there. Your hair or N'Golo Kante's smile? N'Golo smile. <laughs> All right. Uh, Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. Score or keep a clean sheet? Clean sheet. NFL or NBA? NBA. Hamburgers or hot dogs? Hamburger. All right. LeBron or Jordan? LeBron. All right. He is Reese James, modern-day Roberto Carlos, with an extra dash of physicality. We thank you so much for joining us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. He seems intense. I don't want to go in a, like a 50-50 situation, shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder no, with Reese James. You're going to lose I'm six foot three, and you will send me flying into the away <laughs> stands. I know that about you, Reese James. You are a talent. It's super exciting watching your growth and development as a Chelsea player. Those crosses are all world. When you're on the screen, it's hard to take eyes off of you. Thank you so much, Reese, and continued success and health this season with Chelsea. Thank you. All right, Chris Whittingham, I have successfully changed all my clothes because I sweat through all my outfits because I'm just <laughs> in love with the player that is Reese James joining us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Awesome. Thanks again to Chelsea for making that happen for us. But let's get into our thoughts from what was a very aggravating match against Manchester United at the bridge. Chelsea go down 2-0 to an injured, undermanned Manchester United team that honestly, it's not a very good team. But it's par for the course with Chelsea, especially at home, it seems. Dropping points, dropping results to subpar sides. Manchester United, honestly, as long as they're wearing that kit, I'm going to be afraid of them. They have Chelsea's number, especially as of late. Chelsea go into this match, hurt themselves, but I really feel kind of lame sort of touting our injuries and saying that was a reason why we lost because, I mean, Manchester United's pretty beat up. And I don't want to do the thing that's known as the lament of the loser and blaming the officials. But there's a conversation to be had here, Chris. And the reason why I think that it's normally the lament of the loser is because very often they're subjective decisions or decisions that you're arguing about one side or the other. Whereas it feels like what happened with Harry Maguire going down in front of the Chelsea bench and to me pretty clearly kicking up towards Michi Batshuayi caught him. That's a red card for me. And... Then the first Chelsea goal that was disallowed by Kurt Zuma, it was pretty clearly a shove into a shove. And so I think when there's two consensus decisions where if you polled the audience watching, what is the correct decision here? I would say 
probably both will come back 80-85%. Even neutral viewers would say that is a red card against Terry Maguire and a good goal for Chelsea. I think you have a real right to complain about those decisions going wrong, and the fact that VAR has looked at them and still gotten them wrong is pretty staggering to me. I want to get into the first two decisions. I think we agree that the third decision was the right call, ultimately. Right. but I mean, the, 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 the technology frustra- clearly shows he's off. Right, but the frustration with that is you'd already had two go against your way, so at that point you're just done with the entire concept of VAR. Mm-hmm. But So let's look at the first incident. The Harry Maguire spikes up kick out as uh, Michi Batshuayi is sort of running towards him. Harry Maguire's head is close to the the Chelsea dugout. Now, we've been to Stamford Bridge. There is this concrete lip there, and I don't want to be making excuses for Harry Maguire. He made several decent ones, actually, for himself (laughs) post-game. But if you've ever been in that dugout, there is a bizarre lip. There's even a sign that says, watch your step, because there is a concrete slab there if I were a Chelsea manager, I'd eat it all the time, just getting <laughs> out of my seat. But Harry Maguire's head is actually close to the slab, slab head close to a concrete slab. And, <laughs> the imagery is profound. And honestly, I thought his explanation made sense to me. It's a natural human reaction. As Michi Batshuayi, who is a big dude, is running towards you, your arms are further behind, and you kick out your leg to sort of help prevent him from falling. That is... Conceivably, a normal reaction for humans that are in that sort of predicament. That are falling backwards into the bench. Yeah. And you're you're trying to sort of keep your balance. If you're not wearing spikes. Right. He's wearing spikes. And I don't have a huge problem with him not getting a red card. Okay? Here's my problem. It's the same referee that did the Tottenham-Chelsea match in which Son was sent off for the very same act. Or at least a similar act, because these aren't the same exact Yeah, I, I think very often we judge intent. Did you see a great deal of intent in Harry Maguire? Because it is coming off the back of Batshuayi and Maguire are in a physical tussle. I guess, I think there's plenty of emotional Chelsea fans that would tell you they saw intent. Right. And, and I don't have a great argument against it. It's sort of just like... Do you believe Harry Maguire to be a terrible person? Anytime you see the kicking motion towards a player that's so close to you, you, you like you, that's the only choice that you're left with. I know that. Son meant it. Because yeah. Son has this reputation. Harry Maguire doesn't really have this reputation, which is something that should be considered. But here is the problem with VAR. The lack of consistency. We were told a couple of weeks ago that officials were going to take a more active role and actually go into a monitor and check in these things out. Where was that in this instance? With VAR, it's cut and dry. It's either red or nothing. Mm-hmm. If a referee is looking at that, he can at least make the decision, hey, that's a yellow. So that's my my first problem with this. Obviously, there's already precedent for players all over the league getting kicked out after VAR review for kicking their legs out. Using the precedent, it seems to me like it's a red, despite my own personal feelings about Harry Maguire's intent, because I thought his explanation was believable. Where do you stand on my take with this whole thing, Chris? Yeah, I think my preference is always for the referee to go to the monitor, and I just, I don't buy the we have to keep this thing moving take. Because how many times have we seen a referee stand there for two and a half minutes with his right index finger to his ear waiting for the VAR? In that time, the referee can trot the 15 seconds over to the monitor, have a look at it, and the referee who's in the action and can say, well, I saw this and I felt this because very often games take on their very individual shapes and a guy in a room watching it on television doesn't have that feel. And so I always want the referee to go and look at it. And in that moment... 
very often the VAR's instinct is, it's not that bad, just get on with it. You can't see Harry Maguire kick his feet towards an, an opposition player and not think, oh, there's something here. And I think the referee should look at it and decide for himself. Because the other thing we heard after the match is that the referee, and they said this to the BBC, the referee did not see the incident. He did not see Harry Maguire kicking his feet out towards Mishi Batshuayi. And so he's relying on the VAR to be his eyes in that situation and look at it and make a judgment. I think if the referee hasn't seen something, he has to see it. He has to see it. Because it's his game. He has to see it. Especially when that referee has established an already set precedent right, when exactly. it comes to a, a punitive measure for something fa- like this. Because the fans will go, well, you gave in this one, but you didn't give in this one. This is inconsistent. Right. Well, I want to sort of circle back mm-hmm. and take a more macro look at the at VAR as a whole mm-hmm. after we sort of analyze what happened on the second instance of VAR being used in this match. And that is the Kurt Zuma equalizer that wasn't. Kurt Zuma, who... Um, Probably wouldn't have been my first choice off the bench because of a lack of scoring punch. I thought Tamori would have been the better option there. And Kurt Zuma scores, and I immediately say, had faith in him the entire time. (laughs) What a great decision by Frank Lampard. Tactical genius. But naturally, and this is the real bummer um, from, from VAR, and this is a cliche take at this point, I'm waiting to see before I can fully celebrate. It's really taken a lot of that joy from the match. And I think people sort of like wax poetic about what soccer used to be because I always think there was a a, a tinge of this element in soccer anyways. Right. Where's the offside flag? Particularly particularly when you're watching a game on TV. When you're watching a game on TV, you're waiting for them to pan to the bottom of the screen where the assistant is holding up their flag. Yeah. But the difference is on these kinds of instances where there are fouls. If the referee doesn't give a foul immediately, then you know it's a good goal. Yes. And that's what happens here. And I saw, and I think we saw it at the same time, I think there was a shove in there whenever you see like a defender down after a goal scores like oh what happened how is he down and is that going to be overturned and sure enough and I thought Zuma went into him and that was going to be clear and they're going to overturn it what you don't see on the initial viewing that you do on second and third viewing is well he was shoved into the player who he then shoved and so it it was a foul that was inconsequential honestly to the goal and we were watching it together mm -hmm. Chris and and we both saw initially the shove from Aspiliqueta into uh, Wimbasaka, mm-hmm. and we were both saying, "Ah, oh, there's a shove." And then on third viewing, we caught that Fred shoved Aspiliqueta into his teammate, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Oh, he got shoved into him, but Var's not going to come through here, right?" Because Var's going to fail us because that's a gray area, yeah. right? It's a, like, well, it's I, just I don't think that it's nuanced enough to even look for that. So um, my question, I, I don't know what this is. Sort of, maybe a referee can explain this to me. If you're shoved into a player who you then shove, is it a foul on all of you? Is it a foul on just the initial shover? Like, it's a I, domino. I think it, yeah, it's right, got to be a foul on the initial shover, but also it's not consequential to the goal that right. was scored. This is not what VAR was made for. VAR was made to tell me if someone was obviously t- taken down in the box, and other countries have VAR. Yeah. It's not like this. This seems to be an England problem. Yes, there are a handful of high-profile incidents where VAR has taken mm-hmm. away goals. But every week, week in and week out, in this league in particular, it makes it seem to me like it's more of an English problem than a VAR problem. I was reading up that the net on goals because of VAR is negative 21. When a lot of people thought it would be the opposite, where you'd have a lot more penalties given because every penalty incident is reviewed and would be more penalties would be given, so you'd have more goals. If you have to put money on it, Chris Winningham, do you think... The VAR technicians 
and the VAR officials, in communication with the head official for that match, looked at the Fred shove into Azpilicueta. I think it would be hard not to because you can't just look at you are, the shove. You have way too much faith in this I mean, process. Yeah, I mean, maybe I do. Considering the turnaround time, I was like, they didn't even look at that. I mean, but like you have to start the video from the taking of the corner, right? And then play it all the way through. And unless you're really not paying attention, you can't help but notice that he's being shoved into the shove. I think the VAR officials are looking for one specific the, thing. Right. And, and, I've, and, and I've noticed this as well. So I do Liga Mackeys for Tudene. And very often when the referee and the referee goes over to the monitor much more over there. And very often when the referee gets there, they're just looking for the frame, right? Yeah. Where the contact was made or the elbow was thrown in or the studs went. And they're just showing him that frame on an endless loop. And I think that might be what happened there is just here's this one frame that shows that it was a foul, but it doesn't maybe take into right. it. But, I think the but, communication is, hey, did Azpilicueta shove Wimbisaka? And VAR comes back, yeah, he absolutely shoved him. And I don't think the conversation's ever had, hey, by the way, Fred shoved Azpilicueta. Right. And, and, and that, this for me is where the constant conversation about the speed of VAR that has to work quickly so we don't interrupt the game is a problem because they're so quickly trying to make this decision that instead of getting it right, they're just trying to get it quick. There is a league here in the United States, and mm-hmm. I understand the stakes are a lot lower, but overall, the, I think this speaks you. to the... <laughs> look, I'm the, number, I'm the XFL's number one fan. Oh. Hashtag clear to engage. Hashtag caca. <laughs> I am a Battlehawks lifer. But I do appreciate the transparency and the efficiency mm-hmm. in which the replay system in the XFL works. Right, and, think, and let's explain it for the audience maybe isn't watching the XFL as devotedly as you are. Right, which, I mean, how, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? But it's as simple as communication from the replay official direct to the official saying, stop play. And they're in communication as the replay official is And it's is all being played on the broadcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's all being played on the broadcast. You hear... What is more often than not an unpolished television television personality. You can't even call them professionals. They're replay professionals, and they're holding an Xbox controller. I know this is all bizarre, but (laughs) you hear them talk. And I think the optics of it during the English Premier League probably wouldn't go over well because these guys sound pretty unsure. Right, it sounds right. like and, us and in a sports bar. I don't know. Did he get a foot down? Right, did he get two? I think it would be the lack of conviction that if the if the audience heard that, be like, what? Like it, it might not solve the problem. But you would know exactly what they're looking at. Right, you would know if they're just completely omitting the 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 contact from Fred to Azpilicueta. I think they're if they insist on doing it this way. If we're going to be looking at armpits and toes, if we're getting down to the very minutia of what this is, and we're expanding this beyond what was intended, what we were sold on, which is clear and obvious, then there absolutely needs to be more transparency. Because this is one of those Premier League games that you hold up as example and say, it costs a team a game. Mm-hmm. And this is the lament of the loser. Because Chelsea, honestly, not very good. Again, you can point to, I've heard Chelsea were deserved to win that match. I disagree. Possession doesn't mean anything. We know this from the sorry days. If you don't do anything with it, Chelsea seem to be allergic against these counterattacking sides, seem to be allergic to putting the ball on frame, to taking a shot when they have it, to having quality opportunities. I mean, the numbers in terms of shots and shots on target in these two Premier League legs between Chelsea and Manchester United, it's embarrassing how much more efficient Manchester United have been with their chances. Right, and that's the ability you get on the counterattack is if you play that way, you will have fewer chances, but you'll have better chances. And ultimately, we're finding right now in football that among the more difficult things to do 
is to come up against a side that is defending and figure out a way through. And that is where Chelsea have struggled again and again and again. And I actually think Chelsea would like to be like Manchester United and go away from home against against a big side and be able to uh, defend and be the counterattacking team. We've seen them when Chelsea been able to hit on the break against Ajax, against some of the teams that have decided we're going to attack. But th- that like number four, of four teams... counterattacking <laughs> score is optimal. I think you're pointing right. to the first match. I, 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 I mean more in terms of the quality of their chances are better because right. of the because of the state of the gameplay but the thing that's really been a struggle for Chelsea is there have only been two teams and it's two and a half it's Spurs under Pochettino which we never saw because he got fired and then City and Liverpool are the only teams that attack Chelsea and put them on the back foot a little bit and then they have to counter everyone else seems to have the leg up on Chelsea in terms of defending and keeping less of the ball, and so put the onus on Chelsea. Now, normally that is a good position to be in, but for Chelsea, it just hasn't been, and it requires it requires more from the fullbacks to get forward and put in good crosses. It requires more from the front three to combine. <laughs> it also requires a fully fit Chelsea team. So let's talk yeah. about this, because I know Manchester United was, was hurt, but they're a counter-attacking side. Yes, they don't have Rashford, but their identity mm-hmm. is pretty fixed, and Chelsea, they struggle against those sides and a lot of their creative players a lot of the players that you would trust to help break a team like that down they're out how many times was there a ball dancing in the Manchester United end and there was no boot to be found yeah I was watching that match screaming like Christian Pulisic is usually there he's so smart at finding these spaces Uh, Tammy Abraham obviously not there although hey there's your root hive this is a big performance yes. because I feel like Giroud showed you with that little back heel that he does so well. He is so, so great at creating space where there is none with a little touch of class. And I think you need players that are capable of moments of brilliance. This is why William keeps getting trot out there. And we've told you, like, William's just not the type of player to give you that effort consistently. He has that special match winning quality, mm-hmm. but he appears to only have it against Tottenham, which... <laughs> William, now is your time. Saturday morning, let's do this. Now is your time. (laughs) But Giroud, I feel, has that quality, that match-winning quality that Chelsea are lacking. And I think he's a better option, honestly, against these counter-attacking sides than Batshuayi. And you talk about that knowledge and that ability in tight spaces. Giroud has it and created two opportunities. One, he was just offside, and the other was that back heel you mentioned for Kovacic. That is his trademark move. Those two contributions are infinitely more than Batshuayi gave you in 70 minutes. And I just think that Giroud has always had this in him. He's a great player with back-to-goal. He's a great player operating in tight spaces and in unlocking teams. And I just think that if you need a spark right now in these kinds of situations, Giroud is of the players available to Chelsea right now. We're talking about new signings and spending 200 million pounds to solve the problem. Players that are available to Chelsea right now, Chelsea is absolutely best served to solve this problem. This is a jam-packed episode. We just spoke to Reese James, and there's so many talking points from this game. Yeah. We have a whole Manchester City story that yeah. we have to get to. We have questions about N'Golo Conte's long-term health because this yeah. is starting to get scary. Oh, and by the way, we absolutely have a full-fledged goalie controversy once again here at Chelsea. So let's take a quick break. We'll get to some of these topics and your questions in this week's edition of The Mailbag coming up next on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Hi, this is Ashley Cole. You're listening to Chelsea Mic'd Up. Um, I don't like losing games. Um, I don't like the way we're losing games because we're losing games that we, we clearly, particularly at home, have had big share of possession, big chances in the game, lots of shots on goal, at goal, around goal. 
uh, and we're not finishing them. And it's a reality that's getting clearer all the time. We're not getting enough goals from striker areas. Sammy had his period earlier in the season. Now we're not getting enough. We're not getting enough goals from wide areas. Um, and, it's, and that's a fact. And it's hard to win games. You can dominate them as much as you want. But this Premier League... Not many teams can keep clean sheets week in, week out. You have to score goals to give you a feeling of superiority in the game. Courtesy of the Fist Sand app, that is uh, manager Frank Lampard in his own words. Once again, Chelsea, in the eyes of the manager, the better side, just can't seem to unlock these counterattacking sides. And I don't know what it is. It's not like Frank Lampard is being stubborn. This isn't exactly sorry blaming the players because he refuses to change his tactics. Frank Lampard has shown, now not necessarily in this game, but keep in mind there were some injuries that sort of uh, handcuffed his options that happened during the course of the match. But Frank Lampard knows the issues. He calls them out the way that we call them out in the pub, Chris Whittingham. But we don't have the answers. Yeah. We all know the issues. But of the players available, like no one seems to be able to unlock the solution. And for the moment... This is a personnel problem, in my opinion. This specific issue, the issue of not being able to break teams down, because I think Christian Pulisic offers a decent solution. Maybe not a a top-quality one, but in terms of this particular problem, he is, I think, a better option than Pedro, than Willian at the moment. Um, I think in terms of center forwards, uh, where you've been singing the praises of Erling Haaland, and just you talk about being in the right place in the right time. I know, I know this is Chelsea mic'd up. <laughs> you can start I am Holland going to start Haaland mic'd up as a spinoff <laughs> because he's yeah. the best goal scorer in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue at this point. Yes. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, uh, you can argue Aguero, you can argue Ronaldo and Messi. Yes. but Rate, I mean- subscribe, review to Haaland mic up <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming to your favorite platform this fall. Yeah, we're, it'll be the German version of this podcast. But but um, but you just that ability that know how I think is something that Tammy Abraham can be given time. He's been a, been a little bit of a struggle for me. Giroud needs to be playing ahead of Batshuayi. Look, I mean Frank Lampard has already proven that he's done worrying about your feelings. Yeah. So let's stop worrying about Tammy Abraham's feelings too. If if and we're up against one of these sides, they're going to sit everybody back. I think Giroud needs to be playing now. Agreed. And then you just look at the players that are on the field: Willian, Pedro. Kovacic, Barkley, Mason Mount, these are all players that so far have not demonstrated the ability to, even Hudson-Odoi this season, when this is the strength of his last season, these have been players that have not yet demonstrated that they're the ones on regular occasion. Well, Chris Whittingham, Chelsea made a signing yes, to help alleviate some of these problems. Tell me about this amazing bargain of a signing that Chelsea just got from Ajax. Yeah, you mentioned bargain. That's a big point in this because Ajax... Uh, are reportedly going to sell off a bunch of their players, but you'd imagine they'd want similar price tags to De Ligt and De Jong, who they sold in this past summer to Juve and Barca, respectively, but $38 million, which is a reported fee. We also have to tell you that they've not yet agreed personal terms, and this transfer will be for the summer anyway. So, But Chris, both accounts, official verified yes, accounts, are tweeting about it. Right. There's not been a jersey held up, but everything but. Uh, and so I, we just have to give that, that qualifier. But this is a player who does all these things we're talking about. And more importantly, plays for a team that encounters this every single week. Mm -hmm. Ajax's average game is going against a defensive team that they're being pinned back against because they're so much worse than Ajax. And Ajax have to find a way through, and they routinely do. Now, the Eredivisie is not known as being the best defensive league in the world, but Ajax also went and did it at Chelsea. They've gone and done it against, you know, sides en route to a a Champions League semifinal. You could have said the Dutch league. You could have just said (laughs) the domestic league in the Netherlands. They they did it last year to a bunch of teams. They did it to Real Madrid last year. They did. They did it to Juve last year. We saw their run. In the Champions 
Champions League. And, and he was pretty great for them in that mm-hmm. uh, amazing run. Obviously, the fan of me is a little frustrated that um, this is for when? The summer? Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> kind of in the top four li- fight for the, our lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, but Ajax have to win the title in order to get in the champions next year. So it's important that they held on to him for the rest of this year. But doesn't help me now. <laughs> it, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But the thing. Good with- luck to them and their title chase, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but- okay. But if you wanted him now, maybe you pay an extra 20 million and you're no longer talking about what a bargain. You're talking about, you know, this guy's got to be great week in, week out. The one side that I want to give out, though, I was going through my Twitter history just to see what people I follow up to about and I saw a stat, this is from towards the end of December, he had played 16 games at that point in all competition, and he had had 16 goal involvements, goals plus assists, and that's exactly what we're talking about, we're talking about a winger who can play in a great cross, we saw him score a free kick goal against Chelsea, but he has that ability from a wide area to play in crosses, to break teams down, this is exactly the kind of player that the Cavalry needed to bring in the summer. Now the American perspective here, Chris Whittingham, is what does this mean for Christian Pulisic? I think that's a wrong take. I really do. I think this honestly says more about the contract status of Pedro and William yes. than it does about Christian Pulisic. Right. I think, I mean, William has been linked with Barcelona for four years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for, for four I mean, centuries. <laughs> and we've turned down... Since he joined from Reportedly, Chelsea have turned down like $3 billion in reported <laughs> transfer fees. And nope, he hates Tottenham. At some point, he's probably going to go to Barcelona. Pedro's in his 30s. We've or talked or about, Juve on a free transfer. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities. Or inner Miami. Right, exactly. <laughs> Hudson Adoy, to me, if we're talking about who is this potentially going to hurt, Hudson Adoy is probably more likely than Pulisic because yeah. Pulisic's played down the left almost exclusively for Frank Lampard. Hudson Adoy's played down the right, and Ziek is a right winger. Ziek can play the number 10, I've been yes. told. I haven't really seen him play the number 10, but I'm told that this is a part of his repertoire, as is Christian Pulisic, though. This might not be mm-hmm. the best place for him to play at Chelsea. Right. I think, to me, these are wingers, right? These are these are wide players. And ultimately, the number 10 is kind of dying out in European football. Uh, for the most part, you have to have a player like Mason Mount who can do the creating but can also defend uh, out of that midfield area. And Ziyech, this is apparently a part of his game that has grown a lot. But at the beginning, when he started at Ajax, was not a great defensive winger. I'm just looking for ways where he... Christian Pulisic and Jaden Sancho can all be on the field at the same time. <laughs> that would be that's pushing it. That's pushing it. Maybe one of them can play through the middle. Yeah, but we can have a nice little three-man rotation. And maybe a false nine situation. Boy can dream. And in that starting eleven, it would appear I would start selling stock on Keppa being the, mm. the, the club's keeper. Yeah. I don't understand this move, especially because we're going to Willie Caballero, who's out of contract in the summer. Who's how old is he, Chris? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah. Thirty-seven years old. I saw them short. He's thirty-eight. Okay. Uh, I haven't really seen much of a difference between Willie Caballero and Keppa. I thought the whole intention behind this was, you know, let's let's try to motivate Keppa, which mm-hmm. I'm honestly into because Keppa hasn't been good this season, especially when you consider the. It price feels like out. something you can do with a one-game dropping, where you drop him for one game yeah. and then yeah, after the break, like okay, here we go, motivated play better. And Kepa's a kind of player that showed last year he could respond to sort of adversity, Yeah, given that the whole world was falling around him last season, and he was benched disciplinary reasons, but he was benched for Willie Caballero last year. Willie Caballero hasn't been spectacular. I think his best moment was probably coming out and, and being aggressive and cutting off that Jamie Barty chance that wasn't, mm-hmm. but I don't know why we're doing this still. I really don't. This is the most curious, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know how Keppa is responding to this at, at the training grounds. 
I'm just very confused by this decision. And if I, I'd understand it if Willie Caballero was lighting the world on fire. but Or had a future with a club. Yes, or at the very least had a future. Honestly, I see this whole situation and I start missing Bolka because he was young. Those that watched Chelsea preseason football, he was actually quite impressive. Let him go for nothing. And he's played for PSG occasionally. He's played well for PSG. And it would have at least been something that you can hang your hat on and saying, okay, this is at least a young keeper to push Kepa. When it's Willie Caballero, I don't really get the point of what we're doing. The only argument would be that Frank Lampard has now decided he's going to watch training and pick the better keeper from training. And that he thinks that Willie Caballero is the better keeper. Or he's trying to signal the end of Kepa's career and has basically said, you're no longer in my plans Start finding a club in the summer, and we're going to replace you. I really Those are the hope, only two possibilities. Chris, Chris, I really hope that it's um, the former, not the latter. Mm-hmm. Because the latter kind of reminds me a little bit of what Antonio Conte was doing towards the tail end. Yeah. And, and Texting it, Diego Costa, you're no longer in my plans, yeah, find another club. Yeah, and honestly, Chelsea, considering how poisoned the well was, Chelsea were lucky to get the fee that they got for Atletico Madrid because... We're the only buyer. Yeah, we're the only buyer there at at that point, and it got ugly. This is the richest keeper in the world in terms of price tag. He's going to have a market out there for him. Let's see what he's got. But again, you have to extend some credit to the manager who isn't going to air dirty laundry in the press all that much. He's not exactly texting (laughs) Kepa. (laughs) At least I don't think that hasn't come out there. But it's a very curious decision, and I really hope it works out for Frank Lampard because – when you make this decision and Willie Caballero isn't spectacular, then it's one of those things that you can sort of point to and say, did we lose the locker room because of because of decisions mm-hmm. like this? Right. Do you have the confidence of the other players to go, Willie Caballero gives us the best chance to win on Saturday? And that's something that I think it can be really debatable. When this you is talk something about that a club legend like Frank Lampard has the capital to do at Chelsea. Right. If this were another manager, this would be a bigger discussion if you can believe it which was the case a year ago with Maurizio Sarri he eventually went back to Kepa at least in part because maybe he did think I have to discipline him but I still think he gives me the best chance to win and maybe Frank no longer thinks that we're not really seeing Chelsea play from the back all that no much no they, they, and they've really to, to their credit they've curbed that some with Kepa especially as the season went on and Kepa started making more gas it's only when absolutely Kepa. necessary whereas under the previous manager they would try and play out out of almost anything whereas now they will send a ball long to get it away from trouble but I just wonder again when we've talked about this is the first of the big three games we talked about in this stretch is Kepa going to come back for any of them is, is it like and now it becomes a real talking point out of every press conference every time Caballero starts every time we look at the team sheet and Caballero is starting and Kepa is not it's a question and especially and it, and it adds an element of scrutiny to any goal that's scored. Well, could the keeper have done better if Kepa was playing? Would he have made that save? That's the natural question that gets asked now about every goal that Chelsea can see. Man, there's so much to talk about in this uh, episode. I feel like we haven't gotten to enough of it, and we still need to get to your questions. Real quick, it seems like deja vu with this Tottenham leg. Yes. This time it's at Samford Bridge, which honestly, lately <laughs> I'd rather be on the road. Uh <laughs> Jose Mourinho and Tottenham find themselves just one point back of Chelsea in the top four, which we'll get into in a little bit why it might be a top five race. But right now, let's concentrate on the match at hand. Once again, Chelsea have their backs up against the wall, scrutinized throughout all the media. Many people now not picking them 
to play European football next year, or at least in the Champions League next season. And Jose Mourinho comes in with the momentum, and it would really be a devastating blow to have that manager celebrating three points in your stadium. Yep. And it might signal the end for your Champions League chances. And if you include the last seven matches in all comps, Mourinho's unbeaten going into this. Now, here's the thing. Personal record personal record book. That angle's gift. No, no, okay, but, but, okay, but this, is, but this is exactly the point I was going to make. When Jose Mourinho was a manager at Chelsea, I would watch games all the time and go, okay, but they didn't deserve to win that game. Yeah. Okay, but they, I probably must have said that ten times a season. Because... The way that I judge football is kind of similar when Frank Lampard said, I thought we were the better team. It's because generally, for me, the better team is one with the ball that's in better attacking areas more often. That is causing threat to their opposition more often. Yeah, but it, but this is a different Jose Mourinho. Because back then you were wrong. Right now, you're right. <laughs> and it's it not just a Chelsea thing. Well, he was just okay. doing counter. He was a, a brilliant defensive manager. Correct. He and knew how to just shut your shut you down from doing anything you want to do. And you weren't even coming close to scoring. And you're right. The difference is now they give away chances for fun. They're a terrible defensive team. They're, I just think, I don't think they're good, period. I don't and, think and this anyone is, in this league is good outside <laughs> of, of Liverpool. Like, outside of Liverpool. Yeah. And everyone else, Manchester City, probably class, but they've shown you they can drop results like... This is going to be the Premier League from here yeah. on out. I don't really know how good these teams are. And it's only really Champions League play. Right, that, where that you see establishes these, barometer, yeah. Yeah, where I, I mean, Liverpool, although I can't make heads or tails of Liverpool in the Champions League away from Anfield. Yeah. It's a confusing league, man. Right, it's, football is confusing. The end. But to, to me, like Spurs are not playing well right now. Like Spurs are eminently beatable. And they're red and, hot. <laughs> right, well, I mean, but if you look at the form table, then yeah, they're red hot, but... Chelsea could beat a 4 0 on Saturday. I would not be surprised. I mean, genuinely, some of the defensive play that we've seen for them has been atrocious. Yes. And it's not like Jose Mourinho has learned nothing from his time at Manchester United. Jose Mourinho has not all of a sudden had an aha moment where he got fired at Manchester United. Now he's ready and he's this new manager that's ready to, other than the fact that he's bald now. Like, there's nothing new about Jose and his tactics. He's not wisened up and gone back to his old ways of shutting teams. He's shutting nobody down. This is exactly the same guy who managed Man United. They're equally as inconsistent. They're scoring and, more goals. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's weird because theoretically under Poch, they should score more than they score under Mourinho. But, and now another key factor for the game is Sun Hung Min is out. Yes. He's potentially this, out this for the rest massive. of the season. Massive. Right. And he's the player who, if they're, it's him and Deli Alley are the ones who've most gotten a bounce out of playing Although under Although Deli's cooled off quite No, for bit. sure. He had a couple of really bad chances against Villa where he, where he didn't really cover himself in glory. But Sun is absolutely the player who's most emerged, and he's not fit for this game. So... To me, this is Chelsea clearly approaching this game as the better team, but that hasn't always proven to be them getting the three points in the end. But they're not going to sit back. No. Well, <laughs> they're well, incapable of it. Well, I mean, they well, may I try. Think, I think, if yeah, if Tottenham sit back, maybe this is the team This is the team down. that we can yeah. break down. Here's what I expect going into this game, and it's a little Chelsea chatter preview. Chelsea seem to respond in these situations. They held, They did it against this exact Tottenham team a few weeks ago. We were there for it, and William hates Tottenham. So, <laughs> follow at Chelsea FC in USA when they retweet what lives on the Fist Hand app now, my official Chelsea chatter. I am coming off another red hot prediction where I predicted a draw against, uh, against Manchester United at Stamford Bridge when you take into account the goals that were removed by VAR. <laughs> 
and you add the fact that I've never really truly officially picked against Chelsea on right. Chelsea Chatter, right. a draw is basically a loss. So therefore, in my personal record book, a correct <laughs> prediction once again for Mike Ryan's Chelsea Chatter. That is a lot of bending over backwards to try and justify this Chelsea quite Chatter prediction. Quite the justification, prediction. quite the rationalization, <laughs> but... I mean, if Where you can, can read between the again? lines, you can find it on the Fist Stand app, the official Chelsea app. It lives there now. Um, I wanted to do the last one from a very exotic locale, being that I live in one of the most beautiful cities on the planet, Miami, Florida, and circumstances on my day off didn't exactly break right for me, and I did it from the parking lot of a tire shop. But <laughs> we press on, Chris Whittingham. Was, I thought it was beautiful nonetheless, because your daughter had a starring role. Yes, uh, baby Jules in her Chelsea garb. Let's talk about the biggest story in world football right now. And at time of recording, we're just going off. I, I think we're safe to say at time of recording. I don't really know how many new details are going to emerge, being that as Chelsea, as a Chelsea fan, I'm quite familiar with the, the Cass appeal yes. process. But uh, Manchester City have been banned by UEFA. Now, this is where it's different than Chelsea's transfer ban. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, it was a transfer ban that Chelsea uh, suffered. This is a full-on European football ban. Yes, for two years. For two years. Is this going to hold up? How do I view this through my Chelsea fan persecution complex, (laughs) which is just hashtag campaign against Chelsea? We all know that when Chelsea appealed their decision directly to FIFA, it was like summarily dismissed immediately. And there's a bit of confusion as to why the appeal process with Cass took so long. Some reports are out there that Chelsea just waited until the the window was closed, really, to even formally file their appeal. Why is this different than what Chelsea um, encountered, being that this is Chelsea mic'd up, and that's many people's connection points listening right now? For sure. So it's a little different because it's UEFA versus FIFA. So the FIFA transfer ban means that you can't register players, and you have to register new players to the club through FIFA, whereas UEFA are just banning them flatly from Europe. And so Manchester City will apply to the Court for Arbitration of Sport, to say we want not only to have our sentence reduced or even eliminated, but also we would like a stay until you decide whether or not our case is valid or not and potentially play in the Champions League next year and delay this until next year when the league will have been decided. And at a certain point, you have to say Man City can play in the competition next year. So there's a real there's real potential for Man City to still be in the competition next year because the Court for Arbitration of Sport has decided that Man City's case is valid enough that they're punishment can be stayed. Now, there's a bit of a gray area. I'm not entirely certain of the details. Perhaps we can get more clarity in this from a journalist that covers Chelsea, but I don't know if Chelsea ever even applied for that or if they wanted a stay so that they could do business in this past summer and then see if in future they could have their one window, maybe have been January, then they would have been able to do business again in the summer. I don't know. So so I don't know if necessarily this is an unjust process towards Chelsea. There's also but, the moral but what question I, of uh, a lot of the information that was uh, used against Manchester City in, mm-hmm. this, uh, in this ruling from UEFA was acquired through some sort of hacking, Chris? Yeah, Der Spiegel, the German newspaper... Uh, ah, one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I sit with a cup of coffee, legs crossed, reading my copy of Der Spiegel all it's the time. It's my Sunday tradition. <laughs> <laughs> cup of coffee and cup of Der coffee, Spiegel. Schnitzel and Der Spiegel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they published uh, basically the equivalent of WikiLeaks. They call it Football Leaks. Uh, they published a lot of information, and there were emails in there that were basically saying uh, Manchester needed to basically take from one element of the Abu Dhabi empire to help pay Manchester City so they can offset their books so that they wouldn't be in violation of financial fair play. None of this is particularly shocking. No, because 
ultimately, Manchester City would publish every year that they exactly broke even. Honestly, the shocking part is that the band actually happened. Right, exactly. That UEFA decided to come over the top and really go at a big club. Why is everything so unfair for Chelsea? What, what, what to you is unfair about this? Because we got a, a swift punishment, an appeal dismissed. We we even won the appeal. All yeah. for that appeal to hold for the transfer for the transfer ban to actually hold, mm-hmm. they only needed to be guilty of one of the allegations. So that's actually huge for Chelsea because Cass right. re- reviewed the case and said. Oh, you're innocent of all these allegations. And then, and then we self-impose for good measure. I'm not entirely sure. Right. So I Campaign guess against to, Chelsea. To, to, to answer your question, we don't know if Man City are going to have their punishment stayed. There's a real possibility that Cass says, no, you have no case here. And they end up not in the Champions League for two years, which opens up a world of possibilities. Number one, the top five in the Premier League can qualify for the Champions League. Which would be this great year, for Chelsea, obviously. Which would be great for Chelsea. Number two, Pep Guardiola could go. Which would be great for Chelsea, obviously. And number three, there could be a fire sale of Manchester City's players because they don't want to play for a club that's not in the Champions League anymore. Which would be great for Chelsea, obviously. So there's real possibility that all those things could happen. Now, we don't know, and Manchester City, basically, the whole point of their club is kind of on the line here with this legal case because it basically if it's determined that Manchester City don't have a sustainable financial model to support the amount of spending that they're doing then what is the point even of Abu Dhabi being so rich that they can buy their way to a lot of the success that they've had and so there's a real question that comes and what is the point of financial fair play what is the point of all these you know big financial giants coming into football if you can't spend way above everybody else. So there's a lot on the line here. And so I mentioned City are going to throw everything at this, but there's a real possibility that it ends up being a great thing for the rest of the Premier League and for the rest of these clubs in Europe. It's really a fascinating time in English football. While we have the most boring title chase in the history <laughs> of the league, you have all these additional storylines. And just when you didn't think it could get juicier because we have an enticing promotion relegation battle, the top four battle, nobody seems to want it. And now you have... The question of whether this has actually become a top five battle. Uh, one quick note on N'Golo Kante while you pull up this week's mailbag. I'm starting to get really concerned about his long-term fitness, Chris Winningham. He leaves this match against Manchester United with an abductor injury. I thought he was pretty good in that match. Obviously, when you have defensive woes, such as they are with Chelsea, a player like N'Golo Kante can erase a lot of those mistakes by just his special, unique talents. And he hasn't been able to be counted on this season every time he finds a way back he seems to pick up a new knock that's either related or unrelated or a result of maybe an injured part of his body trying to put too much stress on it and he's overcompensating and he leaves himself susceptible to another injury because of these injuries I don't really know where N'Golo Kante fits into this whole Frank Lampard formation and and tactically I'm I'm a a little confused as to how we're using him uh, over the last two years It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Chelsea are linked with several young players. Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, I just made that up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a wishful thinking. Um, but obviously, we've seen over the last few years a club like PSG, who may be monitoring this Manchester City case too. Sure. And maybe the way that they do business gets revisited. But it'll be curious to see... The long-term plans. I know that N'Golo Kante signed the richest contract in Chelsea history in terms of like weekly wages, and he's very happy, and he's had quotes saying that he wants to stay in Chelsea, and no one has a bad thing to say about N'Golo Kante, but I'm starting to get really worried 
for the long-term future of N'Golo Kante at Chelsea. Yeah, because he's 28 years old, and it's not unheard of that a player is kind of never the same guy after 28 years old in world football. Now, the one thing that is... I think his game is going to age well, though, if he can just stay fit. Well, and the other thing, too, is that he doesn't have... He's not like Wayne Rooney, where he came into the Premier League at age 17, played every game for every week, for every month of every season, for 12 years by the time he's 28. N'Golo Kante was a late find. He's a late bloomer in the world of football. He didn't play in Ligue 1 until 2014 with Kine. I mean, that was you know six years ago. It would have been 22. That's generally pretty late in the day to get your top flight career started. And we all know the history. Went to Leicester, won the league, went to Chelsea. Now he's been with the club now for this, his fourth season. But when you look at Chelsea, he's played 164 times for Chelsea, 39 times for France. That's not a crazy amount of games for him to, you know, all of a sudden be heading towards dropping off. The concern is that this is like his third injury this year, and it seems like they're all kind of related, and he's never really gotten fully fit from any of the injuries going all the way back to the summer. Hell, going all the way back towards the end of last season. We already and, know that we can assume, even though the personal terms haven't been worked out, ZX coming into the squad mm-hmm. next year. They're linked uh, with some pretty big names out there, and obviously Frank Lampard has been public that this team needs to make some moves. We have a question that we didn't think we were going to have now with the goalkeeper. So you were linked to all these names. The way that financial fair play works is you're going to need to be selling players, and he's one of those players that has value. Not necessarily, though, because I do think that Chelsea have a real case heading towards the summer, and they can spend freely. They've so, built up the funds? Yeah, because so... It's a CIES Football Observatory uh, did a study on the transfer windows of every club in the world. And Chelsea made the biggest profit of any team in the world this past window. The only spending they did was on Kovacic to make his transfer permanent, and they sold 173.7 million pounds worth of players. That is the biggest profit in the world. And also remember, and, and we learned this because of the most recent Chelsea financial filing, that being out of the Champions League is a big deal. Now they're in the Champions League knockout stage. That's a significant amount of money. I heard today that if Man City missed the next two Champions Leagues, that's 20% of their revenue gone. Yeah. That, like, that's how important being in and the those Champions big, League the, is. Yeah, those big clubs work and it so into their budgets. you're building up a real war chest. Two, you know, $140 million in profit from sales, $100 million from being in the Champions League. Cross his fingers, just whispers Erling Haaland fund to the heavens. <laughs> so so we're, they're going to build this giant reservoir, they're going to spend it on one player? I mean, he's a pretty damn good player. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get all of the Dortmund players. Just buy the Dortmund uh, squad? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dortmund squad. Uh, let's go to the mailbag this week. Sure. Well, we only have time for about two questions from the mailbag this week because of all the news topics. So please don't be discouraged by that. Continue to send your questions. We may circle back to some of the questions that we couldn't get to this week. Thank you so much for taking part in that. Chris, read me the first question in our Chelsea mic'd up mailbag. All right, this is from a uh, fan in Baltimore. It goes by Smokey McPot, which, you know, Interesting. But uh, he writes, I like to take a morning stroll and then watch soccer, but soccer is hard as I uh, work a nine to five during the week. And I don't have a team, but I enjoy chilling weekend mornings watching soccer while multitasking. Any advice on how to pick a team and get into the league more? Well, this is our job here yes. at Chelsea Mike Up is to help connect Americans with Chelsea. So, Mike, give the sell. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with Erling Haaland, but he is most definitely coming to Chelsea. <laughs> I made that up. Obviously, Chelsea is a team for you. This is a, a dynamic club legend for a manager. They have a really exciting team and Smokey McPot. I don't really know where the McPot surname or originates from, but I'm guessing because you <laughs> reside in Baltimore, Maryland, that you're American. We have the best American. An American, sadly, Christian Pulisic, not available. That's according to Frank Lampard, just recently confirmed. 
at time of recording that Christian Pulisic will not be available against Tottenham, so that's a real shame. However, good news is he didn't feature in the last match against Tottenham, and Chelsea still won that game, as you know, 2-0. As long as William's playing, and <laughs> he, he hates, hates Tottenham. Tottenham, we got a shot. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for uh, the mailbag. I lied to you because Smoky McPots took all the time. We had a jam-packed episode. Don't let that discourage you. Please send your questions along. We promise in slower news weeks, we will get to all of them. Till then, up the chels. Subscribe, rate, review. If you just tuned in for this Reese James interview, I can assure you there's plenty more where that came from. You're listening to a pod that interviewed Tammy Abraham. You're listening to a pod that's going to be interviewing Sam Kerr in the coming weeks. We have tremendous access. We are the pod of Jorginho and Pulisic, damn it. (laughs) Subscribe rate review even if you're not a chelsea fan and you're just a proper football fan at times this has been the number one podcast according to apple Podcasts, thanks to their algorithm which can sometimes be easily manipulated chris whittingham wait wait, why are you giving away our secrets we're the number one soccer podcast on merit what are you talking about (laughs) subscribe (laughs) unsubscribe and subscribe again and that's how we break it let's watch the world burn (laughs) 